Well, it's my privilege to introduce our speaker this morning, Mark Stromberg, no stranger to us. I consider him a very close friend, and he is a terrific, faithful, and tenacious superintendent. Let's give him a warm welcome. Well, good morning. Great to be here with you uh, this morning. And uh, Mark, you honor me by uh, inviting me to come and preach on your last Sunday here, or else you were just trying to get out of work. It, <laughs> it was one or the other, or maybe both. Uh, but anyways, uh, so grateful to be able to share from God's Word with you this morning. Uh, thank you to Roseville Covenant uh, for your support of our broader ministry, both in the broader Covenant as well as the Northwest Conference. Uh, we know that we live in challenging days in many different ways, and we're so grateful for uh, your financial contributions, but also your prayers. And you have a number of people who have served on boards through the years. I mean, I look around and I see so many people that have been uh, present and former board members Right now, Mark actually is serving on the conference executive board. Uh, before him, Colleen actually had served on the conference executive board. And right now, uh, Colleen is also uh, the chair of what we call our Committee on Ministerial Standing, uh, the group that interviews pastors as they're going through the licensure process. So, uh, Mark, thanks for your service. And Colleen, thank you for yours. Uh, Tom Johnson, he's some, there he is. Uh, Tom serves right now on the board of trustees uh, for Minnehaha Academy, and I see Alan and so many others that have served in so many ways uh, more broadly to help our shared ministry. And so grateful to be able to be here with you this morning. Uh, I'm, I'm very grateful for Mark's leadership. Excuse me, here I'm going to, something, I'm scratching it too much here. Grateful for Mark's leadership, uh, for his friendship. And uh, Mark, I love you like a brother. And i um, grateful that you have been such a faithful servant, and I know will continue uh, to be. I'd uh, like to, for us to consider for a few moments uh, this morning, though our text on this Sunday before Christmas, it's hard to believe that we're already at this point. It didn't seem too long ago that we were celebrating Thanksgiving. This was a compressed Advent season, it feels like, this year for us. But we'll look into God's Word in John. The text was read. Uh, a generation ago, there was a guy named E. Stanley Jones, and he gave the illustration of a boy whose dad had been out on a vacation, not a vacation, on a business trip for a long time, and he was missing his father, and he was in their living room, and he saw a picture of his dad, and he said to his mom, Mommy, I wish Daddy could just step out of the picture. I wish Daddy could just step out of the picture. And you know, in a very real way, that is what happened at Christmas time. That the Father stepped out of the picture. That we believe that God came to earth. Uh, Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, who the Bible says in the beginning, uh, was part of it all. And that all things were created through Him. You know, that little boy expressed in his own way the deepest desire of all who lived before Jesus. In, in every culture around the world, people believed in a God. They believed in a being who created everything. 
In fact, really, you don't find cultures anywhere that historically didn't believe in some type of creator or maybe creators. But whether it was the Greeks or the Romans, Socrates, uh, the devoutly religious uh, pharaohs of Egypt, they all believed in a creator God. The Eastern sages. We know about the Hebrew prophets. Certainly they believed in a creator God that you could understand something about God by viewing His creation. The power and the majesty in creation, that in and of itself revealed something. We call that natural revelation in the words of theologians. That we look around and we say, how could all of this have happened by chance? There was a hand doctor who had been an atheist who became a believer in Christ actually because as he considered his hand, he was amazed that he had four fingers going this way and an oppositional thumb which allowed him to grab things. He was amazed by that when he really thought about the intricacy of his hand. People sometimes, philosophers, who have sought to disprove the existence of God and have ended up becoming believers because of it. There was a hymn contest back in the 1800s, and people were asked to submit hymns, and there was an atheist who, in really out of cynicism and sarcasm, said, you know what, I'm going to write a hymn, and I'm going to enter it to prove that you don't even, this stuff's all baloney. Well, you know what, he won the contest, and he heard a choir singing it, and he became a Christian when he heard it put to music. When he actually heard it, true story, when he actually heard it, he was so moved by what he heard that his own words that were written in cynicism actually caused him to lean towards Jesus Christ. So the prophets, they believed in a creator God. But they took it one step further. They believed that the creator God could be called, get this, Father. Not just like a father, but Father with a capital F. Whether we had great dads or not so great dads here on earth, but that we have a heavenly Father who loves us profoundly. In the New Testament, what are we told? Abba, Father, and what does that mean, Abba? Dada, Dada, Daddy that we were told it could even be taken a step further. It wasn't just like majestic father, but this was like our, our daddy. I wish daddy could step out of the picture. And again, this is what happened at Christmas. The prophets took it that far. But further, they could not go. Those Old Testament figures... In their hearts, I imagine this might have been their longing. I wish the father could step out of the picture, just like the little boy. Their real longing being this. I wish the creator of the universe could become real. Could become real to us. I like the stars, but they do not love. Flowers are beautiful, but they cannot empathize. They have no heart. The mountains are majestic, but they are not personal. They bring no comfort. These are all signs of something, but they're not enough. Oh, for a warm heart in this vast universe. If only the Father 
would step out of the picture. Listen, people, what we celebrate this morning is just that. The Bible tells us that he has stepped out. He stepped out at Bethlehem. John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, Christianity is not just a religion of values, but a faith of happenings, actual happenings, events, history. The Christian faith is based on historical occurrences. The very heart of the gospel is the assertion, the outrageous assertion, that God himself came at a certain hour in history at a certain place on earth. That he lived and he died and that he literally rose again. That's either true or it isn't. And what does the Apostle Paul say if it's not true? Eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. That we are of all people to be most pitied. Why? Because we are believing in a fantasy if it's not true. C.S. Lewis has said this, and I maybe have quoted this here before because it's one of my favorite quotes. Christianity, if true, is of infinite importance. If false, of no importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. It's either of infinite importance, meaning it's true, or it is of absolutely no importance, and we're all wasting our times. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important, sort of important. The very heart of the gospel is the assertion that God came at a certain hour in history and at a certain place on earth. That he lived and he died and he rose again. Now some who say they cannot buy that certainly are very nice people. There are many, many wonderful people. But if someone denies that, they are not a Christian. For the heart of the faith is that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And that central truth of God stepping out of the picture teaches us many things. And very briefly, I just want to touch on three of them. Number one, it teaches us about the true nature of the world. It teaches us about the true nature of the world. And what a world we live in, we don't even need to go into it. We all know all of the messes that we face. Messes even within our own country, most certainly. Albeit there's another aspect to the world. The world isn't just a messy place because there are flowers and there are sunsets and there are relationships and there are puppies and there's pizza and there's a mother's love. But the person who sees nothing but these things, while they may be lucky, uh, they're not seeing the totality of it. They're not looking at the whole world. Maybe he or she is avoiding reality, or at least a good part of it. 
but hopefully not so with those who have responded to the baby at Bethlehem. Certainly, believers, we all like nice things. We like things to go well. We don't like things when they don't go well. We don't like bad things. But our God has given us discernment to recognize the reason that the world we live in is such a mixed bag. You know, some people in our world think that people are basically good. But when you think of it, it's, it's somewhat ironic as believers. We have a little bit different take on this. The Bible says on the one hand we were created in the image of God and that even angels would, would be envious of the things that we could know or experience. So on the one hand, we are heightened from just being good. But at the same time, we are fallen. And so we can be extremely wicked. And we can do evil. It's kind of the extremes. Created in the image of God and yet in our fallen state, we are capable of such awful, terrible things. So when something terrible in our world happens and and the authorities say, well, we have to try to analyze why they would do this, it's not overly simplistic to simply say, you know what? We're capable of all kinds of horrific things in our fallen state. You see, this world, it's a mixed bag. There's good, but there's also evil. There's actual evil. There's palpable evil. There's concrete evil. There's the personification of evil. It isn't just making a mistake or slipping up a bit. There is something that is within us because of evil in this world. And sometimes this world seems not like God's world at all. Sometimes it can seem like Satan's world with the evil and the like, as if God somehow made it and has left it. Or maybe doesn't really know what's going on. Or even some of the founding fathers of our country who were deists who thought God created everything and then is just kind of letting it wind down on its own without engaging with the human condition. That's how we have been Um, that, that God somehow has been excluded by some terrible enemy. But what is the truth of our world? The truth according to God's word. Listen, this is the message of the Christian faith at Christmas time, as staggering as it may seem, as outrageous as it really is when you stop and think about it. Christmas tells us that in spite of whatever may seem to contradict it, this world was visited by God who sought to redeem it. It is not the devil's world. He did not create it. Nor does our world. We only live here just for a time. Rather, it is God's world, rebellious admittedly, but still His. Sin cannot ultimately defeat Him. Human plans cannot ultimately deter Him. And you can be sure of these things as you reflect upon Bethlehem. In the midst of the sadness and the gladness and the badness, here lies the truth. This baby is Almighty God. This is the message of Christmas. There's a, a phrase within the Catholic Church that sometimes we as Protestants maybe question a little bit because it's not a phrase we would use, but it was intended to combat heresy 1,500 years ago, more than that. And it's the phrase this, Mary, mother of Jesus, Mary, mother of God. 
Now think about that. Mary, mother of Jesus. Mary, mother of God. Is it not true? You see, there were those that would say that Jesus was not deity. That he was just a man. And so to combat that, the church said no. Not just the mother of Jesus as Jesus, but the mother of God in that Jesus Christ himself is part of the Godhead. This baby is Almighty God. This is the message of Christmas. And he will grow and struggle with this world, and as he leaves it, after having lived a perfect life for our example, he will say, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. See, Christmas and God stepping out of the picture tells us the true nature about our world. But you know, this great event also teaches us the true nature about God. The true nature about God. People study nature and history, its drama and trauma, and it arouses thoughts concerning the character of God. And oftentimes these uh, thoughts are distorted. We could look at the evil in the world and say, God must not care very much. Distorted views of God. Why is it that God allows suffering? We call this theodicy. How can a good God allow these things? And we don't understand. And we won't understand this side of heaven. But oftentimes, this can cause people to have very distorted thoughts about our loving God. And we can understand how that might happen. Imagine that we are all part of some village somewhere in the world that has not been touched by modern day at all, by technology at all. We've never seen an airplane. We can't conceptualize even of a written language. And there have been people certainly on this planet that are in this context. Imagine if all of a sudden a few of us were shipped away in a plane to New York City. What would we think? Imagine going into a, an operating room, a surgery room in a hospital, and standing over in the corner and observing what is taking place. And we see someone coming in on a gurney, and they're not moving. There's all sorts of tubes in them. Then there are other people that come in, and they're wearing masks. And they bend over this person, and they're wiping some type of red solution on their stomach. Then they take out knives and they begin to cut. Or they take out saws and they begin to drill. What would we think? And then the people who are doing this, um, we, see, we, we see blood and, and, and we're aghast at what we're seeing. And, and maybe there's music in the background we don't understand. And in the midst of this, maybe they're even telling jokes and laughing a little bit trying to stay a little loose during the surgery, how would we interpret what was taking place? We would be aghast at this. We would not understand. But then, suppose that someone took us aside and said, let me explain to you what's actually happening. What, what, what appears to be for the, the, the ill of the person is actually meant to heal, not to harm. If we finally understood the purpose behind it, the redemptive purpose behind it, we would say, ah, now I understand. They're not trying to hurt this person. They're actually trying to help this person. What had seemed ghastly and evil 
something that maybe our own people had abandoned years ago, all of a sudden that despite the appearances of the contrary, we would realize there was actually a kind purpose behind it all. That the aim was not death, but life. Not pain inflicted, but pain removed. If I understood that, if you understood that, and if we believed it, what a difference it would make in our interpretation of the events. Not just what was happening, but why it was happening. And the high purpose would certainly put our fears to rest. Or a, a less serious example, sometimes if you're sitting in a restaurant, maybe there's rugby or, or uh, rugby up on the, the wall, or, or maybe there's cricket. We'll say cricket. Sort of understand rugby. Let's say there's cricket. I still don't get it. I can watch it and watch it and watch it because I've never had anyone explain it to me. It makes no sense because I, I keep trying to put it in the framework of baseball. It just doesn't make sense to me. But imagine if I finally took the time to have someone explain it to me, how that would change my understanding of not just what was happening, but why it was happening. What would seem nonsensical all of a sudden would make sense. And in the same way, when we who comprise the human race study nature, or at least observe it, as we observe and study the relationships of men and women, the biggest question is not just what is happening, but why it is happening. What is the purpose? The biggest questions become these. Is it all chance behind the universe? Just a blind, unreasoning fate. Who is in charge? What is in control? Am I and millions like me, the pawn of impersonal forces? Is there any purpose for my life? The most solemn of questions, whether or not despite all that seems to contradict it, the knives and the blood and the masks of this great operating room there is a holy purpose at its heart. A meaning behind it that actually redeems it all. Friends, the Christian faith answers that at Christmas, as staggering as it may seem. The Bible tells us that this Jesus was from the beginning. The Bible tells us that through this Jesus, all things were made. The Bible tells us that in this Jesus, there is life. The Bible tells us that in this Jesus, He is the light of the world. The light that shines in the darkness. And the Bible tells us that it is the divine desire that we become children of God through faith in Him. You know, the Bible doesn't answer every question we have on every topic. Certainly it doesn't. But it does teach us about the true nature of our world and it teaches us about the true nature of God, the one who stepped out of the picture to explain the whys of our existence. But then third and finally, the great truth of Christmas teaches us about ourselves. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I ponder myself too much, it can be a little discouraging. You see, I don't live up to the very things that I say I believe. I'm inconsistent. Um, sometimes we can experience what we would call self-loathing even. 
We keep falling into the same patterns. We keep, keep messing up in the same way. And uh, I, I'm not really the person that I want to be. There's a wide gulf that divides the ideal of holiness that I carry in my heart and my meager achievements, my meager efforts, my less than worthy inclinations. And even when my deeds seem okay, sometimes my motives are mixed. I was talking to a counselor friend of mine, and she had mentioned the fact, and she, was, she could be good-humored about it, but she mentioned the fact that one day she was on her treadmill at home, and she felt overwhelmed by her sin, and she was praying God and asking, sincerely asking God to forgive her sin. She was burdened by them and weighed down by them. And she said, at the very moment that I was asking God to forgive me for my sin, and I was truly, truly repentant, another thought was going through my head at the exact same time that said, aren't you a good person to be asking God to forgive you? Aren't you a good person that you feel so sincerely sorry for your sin? And you know what? Sometimes we're like that. It's a mixed bag. Even in the best of intentions, there's this other piece, there's this other thing that can be going on within us all the time. I can look back over the past years, so many resolutions, and maybe so seldom an achievement of some of them. I'm a strange creature that way, and the Bible says that so are you. There's largest built into our natures, but littleness comes out. We have longings to be clean, but we're covered with stains. What is the truth about me? What is the truth about you? What is the real nature of men and women? These are questions I have. Where do we find the answer? And then we come and I come to Bethlehem and move to Nazareth, to Capernaum, and follow Jesus throughout his life. And I see the man that I wish I could be. Holiness that happened just once. A man tempted just like me, but he never gave in. A man who was accused and mocked and misunderstood, but he loved anyway. And I suppose as I look upon Jesus, I could become maybe even more discouraged to realize just how far short I have fallen in the midst of all of his moral triumphs. Uh, it, could, it could deepen discouragement as I'm still aware of my own failings, but only momentarily. You see, what I feared most was that I was incapable of doing anything good, that I was just a bit of earth, nothing else. But the Bible says that's not true. We are far more than that. There's an old phrase, you cannot make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. And maybe at times I've been tempted to see my true nature as being a bit of a swine. A sow's ear incapable of conversion to anything better. But God comes out of the picture at Christmas and says, Mark, don't believe that about yourself. You do not belong to the piggery. You belong to me. He stoops and lifts me up and tells me he loves me so much that he forsook the courts of heaven and entered the world through the virgin's womb, coming as a baby, 
living his life to show me how it could be done. But then I cry out, but Lord, I haven't done it your way. It's too late. And he reminds me that his final act upon earth was to stretch himself out upon the cross and die to redeem me. Is that the truth about me? Is that the truth about you? Was I dear enough for God to be born? Were you? Was I dear enough for God to die? Were you? God says yes. That is the truth. Romans chapter 7, verse 21, it says this, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, I am far more than just the creature of an hour, and my friends, so are you. Whether you know it or not, whether you've given it any thought or not, whether you believe it or not. If this Christmas story is true, God's Word tells us it is, then not much else matters. Our opinions on it do not change the reality of it. The Father has stepped out of the picture for you and for me. And because of that, we can know the truth about the world, we can know the truth about God, and we can know the truth about ourselves. Not in totality, certainly, but enough to exercise faith. And because of that, we can sing, Yea, Lord, we greet Thee, born this happy morning, Jesus, to Thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, O come, let us adore Him, Christ the Lord. Amen.